Why don't you turn in your Bibles today because apparently the church has got something to do with it. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. What I'm going to do this morning is two things. Um, for those of you who have been around us a while, this may be a little bit old hat, but I think it's ground worth going over for a number of reasons. The scriptures always bear repeating. And uh, the other one is just in some ways to familiarise yourself what kind of movement is this. There's some things that you'll be, be aware of because of Phil Pringle's ministry. But Acts chapter 2 was starting and I'm reading out of the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. Excuse me. Um, that's gone. I'll try this one. Um, does anybody else use the NLT? Okay. What's, what's the most popular? The NIV? Uh, New King James? New King James. All right. How can King James be new? He's been dead for a long time. Um, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The first thing, when the Spirit of God turns up, he seldom turns up as an English gentleman. He may act like a gentleman, he may have the demeanour of a gentleman, but he doesn't dress like a gentleman. So you need to know this. There is nothing predictable or domesticated about what God does. And church life has the constant temptation to package and define and hold under who God is or what God is doing. And God is in the constant process of breaking out, breaking out, breaking out. Now this is not a, this is not an advertisement for crazy behaviour or for being an idiot in the name of Jesus. Why? We can all do that without any help from the Spirit. Although spirits do help us in that process apparently. That's not what I'm talking about. But God is always shocking, never predictable and really able to be domesticated. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a person. We're not just talking about an influence. But his influence is often rather overwhelming or shocking. The times that the old fields are referring to in 1995, there was nothing domesticated or pretty about what God did in people's lives. But people's lives were revolutionised from that day on. One of our problems is this. We are so westernised, we have lost connection with emotion. One of the problems with the Holy Spirit, not a problem, to my, to my way it's an answer, is that he often attaches himself to the emotional aspect of our life. So we laugh with a greater hilarity. We cry with richer tears. We feel emotions much more deeply and warmly. In, our, in, in the Western world, particularly the English Western world, which I'm a part of, I was, I'm raised entirely on English literature, English music, English movies and English landscapes. That's just my, it's in my brain. But, that, but, but, but there's something about Englishness that you understand, that's the stiff upper lip. It's the withholding of emotion. 
It's the suppression of feelings. It's the feeling that if I burst out in praise, I'm going to offend somebody and God will be shocked, shaken his throne and possibly fall over. Oh my, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Oh, oh please. Oh my, oh, oh. He gave me palpitations there. That is not God. God does not respond to us being foolish. But you've got to understand when the Holy Spirit comes as a wind, as a flame and as a fire, it has an influence. And people who want to live predictable, quiet, asthmatic lives, and I use that term more psychologically than spiritually and physically, then they will always react. When Jesus talked about the coming of the Spirit, he never told them any of this stuff. He said, when I have gone, he, that is the Holy Spirit, he will come, he will no longer be just with you, he will be in you. And it appears to me the only way in was by a shock. I just made that up. I don't know whether it's true or not. That's what it seems. When Jesus sat down in John chapter... Well, he didn't sit down in John chapter 14. <laughs> but it's recorded that he sat down in John 14. When, he, when Jesus spoke about the Spirit, he spoke in quite personable and reasonable terms. But when the Spirit actually came, it was not so personable and slightly unreasonable. I'm not making a ploy, but we've seen behaviour out of these revivals that end up being just crazy for its own sake. We're not crazy for our own sake. But golly, if God gets a hold of us, surely something's going to happen to us. Otherwise, why talk about God? Why not just go and have a good drink or drag on, a, on marijuana? It's a whole lot easier on you and cheaper than tithing. Actually, no. No. Never should any Christian ever, ever feel bad about proclaiming the value of tithing to their unsafe friends because the voracious God of this world asks for way more than 10%. You Christians, wasting your money at the church. There's half the wage gone. I think in Fairfield in Sydney, something like 48% of the average wage goes into pokies. It's outrageous. And they have a crack at us for giving to God. Get, get over it, kids. Look at them and say, you're the idiot, not me. Don't say, I told you to say that. Say that Phil Oldfield did. <laughs> so the Spirit's coming is not predictable. It's not simple, but it's powerful and it's dynamic. And you know something else? When the Spirit comes, He always speaks. Always says something. Because it says He will take of mine, Jesus is saying this, and He will show it to you. He will speak of me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So whenever the Spirit comes, we should see speaking. So what do we see in Acts chapter 2? A whole lot of talking. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at that time. When they heard the sound, they came running to see what it was all about. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now this is interesting. This, the church was birthed Speaking the language of the hearer. Not the language of religion. The language of the hearer. What's the language of the hearer? It's the culture. It's the, it's the era. It's, it's the, the, the age we live in. And interestingly, they, they, they were beside themselves with wonder. How can this be, they exclaimed. It's like when Pastor Phil arrives 
at the council the other day and he tells what God's doing. In their brains they're going, they're beside themselves with wonder. How can this be, they are saying? Because what they think of religion is, is nice but ineffective people trying to be kind to people they can never properly help. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Now, what was the point there? The point was, they're all a bunch of cultural morons. <laughs> Galileans were not known for their command of language or their understanding of the world. So, Jesus coming from Galilee was a great insult to the religious and intellectual minds of the day. So, the Galileans, it's like saying, these, well, no, we won't, we won't name suburbs, I just thought. That would be terrible because there are people in that suburb that always break the, the mould. So, I didn't just say people from Victoria. <laughs> no, sorry. No, no. Rod's from Victoria. What I really meant, and what I really mean, is people from Queensland. Thank you. And, ah, I've lost a few. Excellent, they were ready to go. <laughs> but listen to this. It says these, they're from, yeah, we hear them speaking their language of the lands that we were born. But we hear them saying, in the language we understand, what God is doing. Now, there's a revolution for the church. To say in a language that the locals understand that God is alive. That's why we have these kind of churches. That's why we have these kind of churches. Where the music is excellent. Love the music. Great leading jelly. Excellent. Um, and I, I, what I particularly love is this. If a storm breaks into this place, the only person who's saved is the drummer. Yes. That's what I reckon. Now, you know what? Everybody always laughs at the drummer, but I don't. Because I used to be a drummer. Before I became a Christian, I, drummed, I was a drummer in a rock band. And so I can see that God has protected you from the wild elements and also from people who don't understand the genius of drumming throwing things at you. <laughs> Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Tugraites, people from Mesopotamia, Gosford, Cappadocia, that's actually meant to be Cappuccino, but anyway, Pontius, the province of Asia. Now, here's the point. I thought about this one and I thought, yeah, this is interesting. I would suspect that all those people that came to Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles, they were probably all conversant in Hebrew. Otherwise, why would they come to a city to be involved in a ceremony they didn't understand anything about? So, here's my thinking. God did not choose the central religious language of Judaism to speak to them. He chose the local dialect to speak specifically and personally to them in a way that they would understand. And that's what the church must do. Why do we get involved in multimedia? Because it's the voice that the most speaking is going out through. Let me tell you something shocking. In the early 19th, 20th century, the 1900s, there was an English lord. His name was Lord Reith. And I think they still do the Reith Lectures for the BBC or something. Anybody know about this? No. Uh, I suppose it's an interest to many of you, um, Lord Reith and the BBC. But Lord Reith, he, he was involved. Uh, Craig would, would know some of this, I think. No, he doesn't. Anyway, <laughs> Craig doesn't know any of this. And uh, that's why I'm telling him. 
Lord Reith actually made the BBC charter. He set it up so the churches could use it to preach the gospel. Have you ever seen anything on the BBC except for that benign thing called Songs of Praise that's anything like the gospel? Nothing. Because the churches didn't want anything to do with this new fangled technology satanic domain. Of all the nations in the world that could have used it, Britain could have used it because Britain's got intellectual and artistic capacity to make the gospel very appealing and interesting. In fact, many of the English churches are big time into multimedia in a way that would actually quite surprise us. Hillsong London would probably be one of the most adept and up-to-date churches with its media production in the world. It's in London. English crew, even though it's driven by Australian dream and vision. Isn't that amazing? The whole BBC. And that would surely have been a forerunner to our ABC and even American TV networks. But you can't buy time. We are slowly always being squeezed out of our slot on Channel 10. They don't basically want us. But in their programming charter, they have to have us. They don't really want us because we don't bring big money to them. And they're not really interested. And by the way, who said they had to be interested? If we don't present the gospel in a way that grabs the hearts and lives of people, they don't owe us anything. So it's not their fault, you hear what I'm saying? So if you happen to work for Channel 9, 10 or 7 or any of the other networks, there aren't any other, ISPS, then I'm certainly not talking to you against you. I'm just making a point. When the church organ, remember that many of you will remember the days where the church organ was the only truly sanctified instrument. The great big church organ. Who remembers that? Steve, Steve yes. It was an organ, were you an organ player in the church? I thought you were an organ grinder on the, on the street. <laughs> that little thing on your shoulder. Um, big organ. You know, when that was first brought into church life, I think Knox, the great Scottish reformer, he did not want it. He called it the devil's windbag. Now, here we go. This is what church is like. Within 100 years, it's become acceptable. Within 150 years, it's the only acceptable. In 200 years, you cannot play anything else. And that's why the church is always in the danger of being extinct. Because we always say, if we just keep 10 years off the pace, we'll be safe. No, we're never safe. We've got to go out there. It does not compromise our spirituality, but the message is always relevant. It's always Jesus, but it must always be spoken in tongues that people understand. So, if your pastor do some things that you think are revolutionary or radical or a bit worldly, just check out their fruit, check out their motive, check out their family. They're okay. They're okay. They're using something to appeal to modern hearts. That's why we should always have Christians involved in sports and in politics and in the media because who else is going to speak in their language to them? They don't, they don't listen to me. They don't, they don't buy my books just quietly, just doing a little bit of uh, subtle stuff here. Just subtle. I'm very subtle. Very subtle. 10, 15, 20. Oh, oh subtle. We'll slow it down, shall we? In the Reformation, the great Protestant Reformation, um, some, th this is a history lesson that some of you may be aware of. Others you may not, but it's certainly helpful. 
the great Protestant Reformation was not entirely built upon preaching. The great voices out of the Reformation were preachers and writers. But they, I read this unbelievable book written by this Scottish academic and it was about how the Reformation really progressed in presenting the gospel to the ordinary man. And they preached, but one of their biggest means of communicating the truth was, guess what? Music and songs. Luther would take common, bawdy pub songs and attach Christian lyrics to them. Why? They knew the tune. Renew the words. They remember the words and the tune. The gospel gets inside their heart. So, you, do you find yourself waking up in the morning sometimes singing Christian songs? I do, because I've been at worship meetings most of my life. So, I wake up in the morning and I hear a, a song. Now, can you imagine if all those songs were a, a lot um, richer and denser in their theological input rather than sort of the bless me, touch me, hallelujah, which is awesome in its own right. But imagine if they had whole screeds of scripture in it. You would go away remembering the scriptures. You attach words on top of music and it gets inside your soul. When we first met Jesus Christ in 1973, or should I say when he first met us, because that was a great shock to him. <laughs> well, not when he met Helen, that was a delight to me. <laughs> when we met the Lord, there was a group in New Zealand called the Garretts. David and Dale Garrett. And they are still alive. And they are probably stuck somewhere. But they wrote scripture and song, and that's all it was. Scripture in song. And I remembered song after song after song of the scriptures. So one of the best ways for us to get the truths of the gospel and the necessity of our hearts worship to God into us is by singing. The other thing they did, big time, which we don't do a lot, was plays. They used plays. Plays were a drama, was a huge medium for preaching truths and ideas, and it still is, by the way. If any of you want to go and visit any of the famous Sydney playhouses, there's probably one or two up here now, um, and you go watch their plays, they are generally about cutting-edge social disintegration matters. They are not about pretty matters. There are a number of plays you probably don't want to sit in, both their language and the nudity, and it's enough to, to get you walking out. I don't go and view these things so that you can know what's good to go to and not go. Haven't been to one for ages. But except for the musicals that are just, you know, spectacular and colourful and fun and, you know, The Lion King and la, 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 la. I think they're lovely. But they don't say a lot to me. They're just lovely. But a lot of plays, they are saying stuff and they are pushing big-time social agendas. The church pulled out. Oh, we, we, we don't do that anymore. Hallelujah. We are sick inside our stone wall. But you know, even those churches, they were the most magnificent architecture of their day. There was nothing like them. They were built to the glory of God. But have you seen what the 1960s built in denominations in Australia? Oh my gosh. Soulless, colourless, bland houses for soulless, colourless, bland worship. We're going to have to spend money on making things look good so that it builds people up and makes them feel like they're in the 21st century. I stayed in a hotel last night because I couldn't be bothered driving all the way from the northern beaches and Helen and I went and visited some friends last night, uh, Chris and Ruth Brown up here. We went and had dinner with their family and, uh, and we stayed there and I remember going there 10 years ago to a conference and it was right on the edge of modern now. I, I, I'm not being rude. 
It's tired and old. And if they said to me, how's your stay? I was going to say, great facility, but if you don't change the interior, you're criminal in your charges. Anyway, I mean, I didn't say it. You know, preachers say a lot of things in the pulpit that they don't actually say. So they may appear all very tough, but basically they're a bunch of wussheads. We must speak in the language of the hearer. Otherwise, we miss a whole generation. What are youth used to? They're used to music, to fast-moving image, and there's no point us saying, well, you know, if they just slow down, they'll get some peace in their hearts. But, you, you know, you can never, every generation's different. You can't, you're going to have to speak in their language. Why does James Murray put on a conference and hundreds of young kids come? Because they have things, they were having, this year they're having a young person's fashion show. I think it's a fantastic idea. I would say that, that, you know, that their fashion need to be very careful what they wear. Uh, you know, if there's anything provocative or a bit over the edge, they'll be spoken to because we don't want to present something that ends up being provocative and, and you know, essentially tempting to the young, the young folk. Ah, <laughs> the young folk. What about us? Well, this is bad. Um, that we're, they're going to have uh, all sorts of, you know, prizes and games and all sorts of stuff because that's what young people do. Do you know something? And also young people want to worship God. They, do. they don't want a babysitting service. Yeah. They want... Exp- our, I'll tell you one thing that I know is that our current generation is addicted to experience. Yeah. And even though you can't go all the way in that, we could certainly use some parts of this world to reach them. Exactly. I look, I notice people line up a little bit less these days because I've been flying for a while, but when I first got my aerobatic licences, people were lining up because they wanted to give their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their husband, their spouse a reason to be sick. They're lining up, buying them. So I just did the flying. I didn't pay for it. I, just, I fly because I enjoy flying and they pay for the hour on the plane or whatever. And they're lining up. I took a young guy up recently. These, these, are, these are adrenaline-addicted kids, some of them. Some of it's incredibly dangerous, but not all of it. This guy got on the plane and I took him up and I did just a couple of very simple manoeuvres they just sort of flicked and rolled the plane a bit around and did a few bits and pieces. And I said, how are you feeling? He said, well, not so good. But he said, Simon, I'm so determined to enjoy this, just keep on doing stuff. <laughs> if that had been a 40-year-old, they would have said, um, I felt a bit sick when we took off, actually. Does it get worse? Uh, yes, about 5G's worse. Um, but he just wanted, I, well, I said, no, no, I'm not going to make you feel sick, man, because there's nothing worse than throwing. You know, it's like, like in a plane, you can say, well, let's just stop at the side of the road. And you can't really open the window. Because if you did on this plane, it would, it would be a canopy, it would go off and it would probably go right through the back of the tail. And that would be excellent for landing. We'd be landing very quickly. Addicted to it. So we've got, to, we've got to use whatever means possible. That's why when you're reaching youth, you do not use 40-year-olds. Why? Because we're two generations away. Now, we can preach the word of God to them in a way that a 20-year-old cannot possibly and in a way that they enjoy and they get something out of. But that's not all of what church life is about. Do you know, I think there's something, though, to me there's something that never goes out of relevance. Because I've realised this, that relevance lasts about a generation. So the next generation has to reinvent itself. 
one of, the, one of the tragedies about Christian music, most Christian musicians will not be doing what they're doing in 10 years because there's a new generation of music. That's a fairly difficult call on them. So they've got to find their way into a larger world of influence and so on and so forth. I have utmost respect for Darlene Check for that reason. She's actually pulled right out of staff and she's retired. And what, she's 12 years old. She's retired. You know, not completely. But because there's a whole bank of new guys and girls coming up to her. She's not standing in the way. Golly. She's, she could sit back in an armchair and uh, get the royalties and shout to the Lord for the rest of her life and she'd be right. <laughs> and she's not doing that. And I don't well know well enough to make any comments about what she is doing and what she isn't doing. That's not my point. My point is I have great admiration for her because she's realised it's one generation. But you know there's one thing that never goes out of fashion? Never has and never will. And it's actually still here. It says this. It says, we all hear these people speaking relevantly in our own tongues about the wonderful things God has done. They stood amazed and perplexed. What can they, this mean, they said. Here's the point. There's one thing that will never go out of fashion. You know what it is? It's the love of God. That's why you and I need to realise that even if we're not modern in our appearance, we will never go out of fashion if we show love to other human people. Never go out of fashion. I've known some of the most delightful people as they're older, they're about as, I don't know, they're about as in as out can possibly be. Or they just, they ter- their dress is terrible. It's just, oh, everything's woeful, in my opinion. But their hearts are full of love. And anybody will listen to that. A 12-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 24-year-old always responds to love. But let me tell you what love never does. Love rarely ever makes a judgment about what they look like or what they do. Hardly ever. So if you are showing love but continually telling them off, you're not showing love. Love is a lot riskier than we want it to be. God's grace is so risky that we don't actually like it. It's very risky, grace, because the religious mind can't stand it because it wants parameters and boxes and, and, and points where things stop and things start and all defined for you and you're just living in this little box for the rest of your life. Grace always smashes outside of that. Golly, I'll tell you what, one thing that I'll never do and one thing that this movement, as long as I'm one of the leading voices in it, will never do, we're not picking up and down um, Macquarie Street picking against gays and lesbians. I will never do it. Never. Do I like their lifestyle? I don't even need to defend the point. It's not the point. If, if you don't show love to people, your message is worthless. Um, I have a connect group in Crow's Nest um, that's in a, we've been doing it for about two years and, and, and the guy is as gay as you possibly could be and he's proud of it. But I love him. Or should I say I like him? <laughs> I don't know him well enough to love him. You know what I'm saying? I like him. That, that wasn't me pulling back from make a bad mistake. I just thought, use a better word. He calls me Simon. He touches me on the arm. He's totally fascinated by us. He can't figure us. It's all these business guys. You know, there's like, there's, there's been lawyers and there's town planners and there's architects and, uh, and um, all sorts of these guys and we meet together and we laugh and, and we have quiet moments and I know they're completely bemused but the last thing I'm going to ever do is have anybody in that group start bagging out gays. Whether I agree with their lifestyle or not is not the point. Am I going to show God's love to all? Without discrimination, 
Now I know to people, some of you, that may sound like a shock, so I knew it, the pink shirt was a giveaway. <laughs> you guys, you've been, you've been messed around on your head, you city boys. Well, we all admit that. But that's not the point. If, if, if I walk into that cafe and start criticising him, I would expect him to walk up and say, I don't want you here anymore. How dare I do that? It's his business. So last Christmas I gave him a bottle of rosé, which apparently gay guys quite like. <laughs> bottle of rosé. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to be caught as an enemy of that person. Love never goes out of fashion. Never. That's why I always love people like Helen and Rod Harry, because they love people. And so they'll always be young, always be enthusiastic, and always be worn out because they've got so many grandchildren. I was just thinking, Rod, before that grandchildren either reinvigorate us or completely ruin us. And I think there's, sort of, there's a crossover point, isn't there? So, look, my point is very simple. When the Holy Spirit comes, he speaks. Not always predictable, but he always speaks in the language of the hearer. So, if I'm, I'm, this is not a sales point. So, if I'm writing about something, I'm going to be finished in one minute. If I'm writing about something in here that's about the world, um, about confused impulses or about gambling or about institutions or about um, conscience. You know, a, a person who does not know Jesus could easily read this because I speak in their language. I speak in their language, mate. Holy shit. I speak in their language. And I talk about, I talk about civilization and architecture and laziness, um, spirituality, producers and consumers, whatever. Um, catching myself out with some bad attitudes in a few articles there. <laughs> Indulgences. You know, who knows? But if you don't speak in the language that they can hear, which is the language of the day, they'll never hear the message. Never. Doesn't mean you've all got to suddenly go out and start becoming something different. You, yes. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> you do live in a community of people that you can reach. You may be an avid fisherman. Who here is an avid fisherman? Loves fishing. Or love, or, or, okay, I was no avid fisherman. That's very unusual. Um, uh, oh, okay, the guys that are avid, avid fishermen are out fishing. Well, I'm honestly, who else is going to reach them? They're going to come and listen to me? They're going to buy a pretty little book? I don't think so. I don't think so. They're going to get reached by whoever they get reached by. Amen. Let's ask them to close their eyes. We're going to pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful church. I pray that always be alive to this next generation, always alive to the past generations, alive to human beings. We pray that the power of the Spirit will be upon the leadership of this church and Lord, that building over there will get finished and filled. They got to the point, oh, we just finished building the thing and it's getting filled already. Goodness, that's a great problem. We thank you, Father, for the right finances and you bring the right people to this church to help support that. Father, we thank you right now in the powerful name of Jesus.